Welcome back to Never Settle. I have today the founder of Alula, a brand that I am in awe and inspired by, Leah Schusterbeer. Thank you so much for being here, making the time. You are a busy woman. And I can't wait to jump into, you know, just the story behind what you've created, your personal life story. Well, thank you so much for having me today, Sarah. I'm so excited to dive in. Speaking of, tell us about Alula because that'll also bridge into a big part of our conversation. You got it. So Alula is uh, the business I've built out of six years of unanticipated R&D um, with cancer. My mom was diagnosed with breast cancer six years ago while I was in the middle of getting my MBA at Wharton. And that was my first like nuclear, you know, tornado of navigating what it means to experience care dropping off from these highly specialized oncology nurses in the hospital to what happens at home in your living room, in your bedroom, in your bathroom while you're undergoing or someone you love is undergoing recovering from a mastectomy or recovering from you know, their fifth round of chemotherapy or what have you. Um, at the time, I was just, you know, a daughter who was begging and calling on all angels for her mom to get through it and doing anything in my power to help support her through that. But six months after my mom landed in remission, I was diagnosed with a rare form of aggressive non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And this was January of 2018. And that was the beginning of, you know, 18 to 24 months of total everyday hell. I um, actually had my cancer come back four months after I was. they thought I was in remission. Um, and the second time that my cancer came back, I had the privilege of knowing how to navigate my everyday chemo nausea, how to navigate um, my hair loss, how it would feel when my ovaries turned off uh, during medically induced menopause. And I just thought to myself, gosh, what if we could use technology to anchor these lessons in a one-stop marketplace where patients can go and prepare for a mastectomy and prepare for chemotherapy and prepare for radiation? Um, and what would happen if you actually had access to, you know, 24-7 nurse who can walk you through how to come to your physician conversations and advocate for yourself? And so... Um, that's what I, you know, we've built the first part of that and we're in the process of building the second piece of that. And um, it's been how I've made sense of the why me, you know, why did I get diagnosed with an aggressive cancer on the cusp of my 30th birthday, af right after living through my mom's diagnosis and in a wacky way, this business makes it all make sense. I have chills as you're sharing this because there's there's such um, resilience. There's such uh, there's overlaps. Um, I'm also a Hodgkin's lymphoma survivor. I was 19, and when I was looking on your site, so to be clear for listeners, Alula has a lot of different um, brands and offerings for anybody who is going through cancer that will really help them on their journey. So, for example. You know, I've tried out um, a healing balm that's on there. I would have loved to use that for radiation. Um, you also have, this stood out to me front and center. You have a cover that'll go over the pick line. Mm -hmm. And I remember sticking this nasty bag on my arm 
and it was so uncomfortable and it looked horrible. The thing was slipping off. I could barely lift my arm to put shampoo on my head. It was like, this is horrible. And when I saw some of the offerings that you had, I was that is a nice looking pick bag. And I mean, it sounds simple, but it's really a big thing when you're going through it because you, you feel like you have zero control. You know, I, I remember feeling like as my hair is falling out, I'm like, I feel like disgusting, you know, and it's not true by any means, but it's just, you feel like your humanness is almost stripped away from you in some manners. And perhaps I'm being a little dramatic, but it's, it's a true feeling. And, you know, to, to be able to offer that peace and pieces of comfort, it's really, um, it's something I wish that I had going through cancer. You know, I don't wish to go through it again, but it's something that I love seeing that there's been an evolution. So on that note, you know, at what point did you see as you were going through your own, you know, both with your mother through breast cancer and then yourself, did you say, there's an opportunity, as you said, to make sense of all this and I'm going to take on this endeavor? At what point did you make that turn? So when my cancer came back just a few months after wrapping up, you know, six months of treatment, when my doctor said, all you have to do is show up, wrap up your chemotherapy, and you're going to have your life back. And I really, really believed that was going to happen. You know, they had, even though my cancer was aggressive, it also, you know, had 90 plus percent chance of working with the chemotherapy and immunotherapy protocol I was on. And I was getting treated at Memorial Sloan Kettering, a preeminent, you know, National Cancer Institute designated hospital system. I just really was like, had full faith that all I had to do was kind of soldier through the protocol. What I realized right away was so much of what you're talking about, like, there are these moments that I was like, I don't understand how the best doctors in the world think that I should be taking a shower by wrapping, you know, cling wrap around myself and really having my mother bathe me. And I didn't understand how I was supposed to go to sleep with like a sock being wrapped around my pick line so that I wouldn't like loosen any of these picks that were connected and near my heart. Um, There were just this like massive dissonance of like I was getting treated at this like preeminent, like top of the line um, with these pharmaceuticals that were so advanced, curative medicine at its finest. And then what I was living with at home really felt so uh, almost barbaric, to be honest. And I, as I was going through my first round of treatment and I had the privilege of sort of having some access to it through my mom's treatment, I saw that there were hacks, right? You you learned about it from your oncology nurse when you had an extra 10 minutes at the end of your appointment. And she would say, you know, I've seen one of my patients try this. And you, you would immediately Google it and, and see if you could try it. You had other patients in your community. I was getting so many tips in my Instagram DMs and on text message. And I just sort of thought, well, this is, this is dumb. Why can't we actually take all of these hacks that are happening in these passerby conversations with your nurse or are happening with, you know, in Facebook groups and in Reddit forums? And why don't we put them in a singular spot that anybody on the internet can access from all over the country, regardless of where you're getting treated? Um, I didn't have the impetus to really go for it, though, until my cancer came back in 
you know, they discovered that I had cancer again in November of 2018. That was really like the worst year of my life. <laughs> um, and when my cancer came back, I sort of thought like, okay, you've learned so much. You've had the, 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 the privilege of undergoing this before. And even though the chemo was going to be harder and I would have to do radiation that I'd never done. And even though I had to do a transplant, I knew what I was up against and I knew how important it was to stay out of the emergency room and to stay out of hospitalizations. And so I thought, okay, if you have to live in the hospital for the next six months, you may as well start a business. Um, you may as well study what this could look like on the inside. And so I started to prototype it for my hospital bed. Um, I was admitted for my first round of ice chemotherapy in December, like right around Thanksgiving of that year. And I just started interviewing can I just started interviewing other cancer patients and that were like living next to me. I was interviewing other oncology nurses. I just kind of kept talking to different people around the hospital. Like, if I built this, would how would you use it? Would, would you need it? Would your patients need it? And that was my sort of validation that if I was to get out of that all alive, you know, I had the skill set and the really unique testing ground to to build something special. I named the business Alula very much on purpose. Alula is the part of a bird's wing that aids in turbulent air and helps the, the bird birds lift their Alulas when they're flying in turbulent air to help them navigate, to help them seek landing. And I loved that so much when I heard that word for the first time because, you know, what's a more turbulent air flight in medical experiences than cancer care? And what I also loved about it was it didn't really pass judgment on if you're, you know, if you're, you're doing it right, if you're fighting, if you're not fighting, you know, I, I hated these metaphors of soldiering on through something that's such a personalized experience and every patient's goals of care are different and should be honored in my opinion. And so what I also really love about what we've built is, you know, we are sort of providing a one-stop place for you to access information. And again, hacks that are patient informed, that are clinically informed, that are clinically vetted, but it's really on you to kind of put together what it is that you need at any moment in your treatment. And as anyone who's gone through it, you just know that that zips and swerves so much um, that I wanted to kind of build something that could really be curated and personalized for you and your treatment plan and your moment and, you know, where it is that you need comfort along that. I have chills and almost a tear for what you're sharing. And I didn't know that about the naming and convention. Birds are something that's very near and dear to me as well. And perhaps it's across the line for various cancer patients. So I think that's a beautiful tie-in for, um, for the meaning behind, you know, and that's, really impactful. You, you're on a hospital bed and you said, if I'm going to be here, I might as well learn and I'm going to start a business and I'm going to do this. And that takes, that takes a lot of heart and it takes a lot of inner strength. Where did you tap into in those moments for such? I guess I was just searching for the answer to why did this happen to me? You know, um, and I still am searching for that so often. I think we've all just been living through two and a half years of total dystopian, you know, it just really feels like we're living in a dystopian novel. 
between the rollback on civil rights, reproductive rights, the, you know, how many, we've lost a million Americans in this country to uh, something we can't even see. And cancer is like that too. People don't really realize this, but like you can't see your tumor. Like you don't really, all you can see is, you, you see it, I guess, on a, on a scan. Um, but there's this like helplessness and powerlessness against it. And I was really searching for my power in the situation. Um, but that the strength was took uh, a lot of inner work to cultivate. I And I sourced it from therapy. I sourced it through Reiki. I sourced it through... Um, you know, really redefining my relationship with life itself, my relationship with dying, my relationship with my body, and what feeling integrated with my values and who I want to be on this earth meant. And, um, you know, that kind of kept me going. I felt like also really uniquely positioned to, you know, build something that would minimize the suffering. I think what I learned through my mom's experience and through mine was like, it was inconceivable, the amount of physical suffering, the amount of emotional suffering, the amount of like the the waterfall of suffering that your diagnosis creates for people you work with, for your extended relatives, for your best friends, for your community. I was stunned by how many people a singular diagnosis how people feel when they hear those words, you know, did you hear Leah got diagnosed with cancer? Um, and I thought there was something, um, I don't know. I, I just thought there was something really special there. And I spent so much time with my therapist of just like, how do you find meaning out of such tragedy and out of such disappointment and out of so much pain and suffering? And Alula was just like, it gave me so much forward momentum, direction. And it just made me feel like, well, I could take, I've learned so much through this experience. Um, and it could be a creative outlet. It, it really was just like a creative outlet. And it continues to be a creative outlet, even though now, you know, um, my everyday requires some things I don't feel creative, like meeting with investors and our bankers and our lawyers and our accountants and all those kind of things. But um, my favorite pieces is, you know, we talk to cancer patients every single week as a whole team. So our engineers are there, our designers are there, our marketers are there. And it is just so unbelievably grounding. Unfortunately, you know, every day there's 5,000 people in this country that are getting diagnosed with cancer. And I don't think many people know this, but one in three Americans will have cancer in their lifetime. And every single day I, I get connected to somebody, to a total stranger who just got heard the worst news of their life. And so it's so incredible to have, you know, a piece of art that I get to continue to kind of pour that pain and suffering into, um, because it doesn't just end with, you know, hearing that you're in remission. You know, I'm I'm now dealing with a number of long-term effects from my care that are, you know, not nearly as miserable as going through cancer treatment, but 
um, you know, I often say today's cancer patients are tomorrow's fill in the blank patients. And again, Alula kind of gives me a vessel to kind of think about like, what do we do about that? How do we participate in providing healing and, and relief and mini- minimizing human suffering? You bring up a good point too. And I said that for a long time in the follow-up cares that I did receive in both Yale, Dana-Farber, and uh, I'm blanking on one other, but it it always came down to, well, how, what, what, what are you doing now? And, you know, what, what kind of, um, what would you look for? And I always get the same feedback, same as you're saying, there's no real follow-up care. They're just, okay, you're done. Here you go. But it's it's life altering, and I think that not having that soft landing can also set a lot of people up for PTSD, for a lot of mental health issues. And as you're saying, it's just it's very obvious. I know that you know I, I can have pre onset menopause. I know that there's a higher risk of other cancers developing. Um, having certain foods, you know, how do I? I remember I said uh, I asked the pulmonary um, function doctor, pulmonologist, there we go. And I asked him, what can I do to improve the strength in my lungs? And he says, well, there's nothing really, just keep coming back for your checkups. I was like, that's really interesting because actually I do a lot of breathing exercises every day and, you know, exercise certainly can help to some degree. So it's, I feel like the resources are very limited and especially for that soft landing after you're like scooted out into the world with, you know, to use what you mentioned with Alula, you're not given the proper function for your wings to even begin to function and fly. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of potential and impact that can be there. I would be short in my words to say this, but your resilience through cancer, I'm sure, are incremental for your resilience as an entrepreneur. Can you expand on how those skills – um, you know, your, your answers and meanings to your whys have uh, impacted your business as an entrepreneur for Alula? Yeah, absolutely. Um, number one, it's just, it's such amazing perspective. You know, on my worst days as an entrepreneur, you just, I really just think back to when I was a bubble girl in the middle of my bone marrow transplant and feeling like I was just so low, um, and really, really fighting for my life. And, um, for those that don't know, you know, bone marrow transplants are incredibly dangerous and very high risk. And I don't actually know the statistic off the top of my head of, of how, um, how likely they are to succeed. But I think it's this general idea of like beating the odds. And, you know, as a female entrepreneur, I have access to the 2% of venture capital money that goes to women, like talk about beating the odds every day. Um, And we're working to disrupt oncology care, which means that you're talking to healthcare systems and colossal drug manufacturers that have a vested interest in the way that things exist, even if um, it's not patient centric. Um, and so you're, con- you're literally like your existence is beating the odds. Like your existence is saying like, it's not going to work that way. It needs to work this way. And there's so many corollaries with cancer care. Um, I think what I'm most 
proud of is um, I really wanted to, one of the reasons I, I quit my job was because I wanted to have be the, have the ability to build a modern workplace where I could stay healthy. And in some ways, you know, building a venture back business is like one of the most stressful jobs. And sometimes I am like, I don't know if that was the right, the healthiest move for you, Leah, but it does give me an opportunity to build a workplace where we can honor human health and we can offer rest and recovery and love and all the things that aren't really talked about at work very much. Fortunately, the, during the last two years, they've, they've come more into the center because I think the pandemic has really forced us as a collective society to rethink how unhealthy we're living. Um, and I think that's, you know, I'm constantly holding with two hands, like the investor pressure to move faster and to build something seismic with the reality that it's hard for me to imagine life beyond every six months where I have my survivorship checkup. And I know it's really hard for me to have like a five-year plan or a 10-year plan for the business when I don't even know if I will be here in five years or 10 years. And that is so, so tough. Um, But where I take solace is, you know, how do I create a workplace that honors the opportunity to rest and recover and and make more space for living. Um, And that's my everyday challenge um, to, you know, continue to make space uh, for daily walks, for daily jogs, for time in nature, for time with my husband, our puppy, um, for things that bring you joy, because like, that's why we have breath. We're not, we're not here to be, you know, work minions. Um, but that's, you know, and I, I think that, uh, what we're learning in this great reset or this great resignation is that everybody in our collective society is rethinking the structures, the way a lot of cancer patients do after, you know, it's very natural after you experience any type of near death experience. And we've experienced a near death experience as a collective people. Um, and it's been very interesting for me to kind of have cancer back to back with COVID. In you know, my one year survivorship appointment was March 12th, 2020. I almost wow. had it canceled and I walked to MSK because I was afraid to take a bus or, a, or an Uber there. Um, and, you know, I've been thinking a lot about, <laughs> I'm still processing the back-to-backness because just as I was able to have freedom, I sort of went into hyper, um, you know, inside mode. And my husband is a front, you know, has been on the front line at Mount Sinai and NYU the entire pandemic. So I think we're really on the like really, really early days in thinking about the fallout of this and like how we live and our interaction with our institutions and our interaction with each other and what's really important. Um, But I feel really fortunate to have had that perspective from cancer the last two years. And I'm still composting the impact of COVID on all of that. Um, But yeah, I, I I, I feel fortunate for that perspective. The last thing I'll say is I'm now in a community of cancer patients. I'm sure you get this all the time. You're on a short list of everybody who knows you. When anybody that they know gets diagnosed with cancer, you you get a text and you're like, oh my gosh, 
so-and-so just got this horrible diagnosis. And it's, um, it is such a gift. You know, I had a call yesterday with a dear friend whose husband got diagnosed with throat cancer and I'm in the middle of a really stressful period at work. And he spent the week at an ICU, um, dealing with complications from his radiation therapy. And gosh, if there's anything that can just snap you out of the BS, it is that. And you're just like, you know what? Nothing's that serious. Like nothing is that bad. It doesn't matter. So it's I just couldn't like, agree more. I really, nobody can hear me, but I'm sitting here and I'm shaking my head up and down so hard because it's so true. And it's really, even this conversation that I'm having with you, Leah, it's, you know, I'm, I'm holding back so much emotion, not um, in a negative way, but just to give space. It's so impactful what you're saying and for everything that's going on right now. And it's a hard thing to embody or describe unless you've been through it to say, this is what really matters. And I'm sure you can think back, even as you're saying bone marrow, as you're saying diagnosis, you're saying all of those little moments just hit you like a little elastic band when somebody else says it and it puts you right back into that space. Right. And it's, it's a hard, beautiful snap back into what really matters. So from a cancer perspective, post-COVID or coming out of COVID or whatever era that we're in here, I think that's a really beautiful perspective to add to that. And thank you for that. Thank you. Yeah. It's, I don't know if this resonates with you, but one of the things I've been thinking about a lot recently, actually, when I was diagnosed with cancer, I've never felt more lucid about what matters most. And you have this amazing opportunity. Like you have so much gratitude for all these little steps and these little things that end up working as you start to heal. Like I remember after my bone marrow transplant, I literally couldn't walk around the block in New York City. I couldn't walk around the block. I couldn't make it. And the first time that I finally made a circle around the block, I mean, I was just besides myself and um, you're just, you just have so much gratitude for your legs working, for you being able to be upright without vomiting for movement. And I would just start to like roll up into a ball and like kiss every single limb of mine. And I'm just like, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for working. Thank you for working today. Um, it was such a happy and great. I was on a lot of antidepressants at the time too. So that probably also helped, but it was, it was just such a lucid moment of, of just gratitude for our bodies and for our functioning. Um, and I, yeah, whenever I get one of those calls, I come right back to that gratitude. And, you know, whenever I do have to go through a scan, I go right back to that gratitude. Like I had an, an abdomen scan this past Monday um, after an infection, which, you know, really happens. Like um, people don't realize cancer patients stay immunocompromised for a really long time. Um, and especially depending on the severity of your treatment. Um, and anytime I'm back into the hospital room for any kind of checkup, I just go back to that place of like, Nothing else matters. Beautiful perspective. You know, I feel like I could talk with you for hours on all of this. Um, you have a really 
empowering story and share that you've been through and are continuing to build. You're building legacy, Leah. Uh, I want to close this with what is never settled to you? Loaded question that I know that you've touched on, but to encapsulate. Um, I think the conviction that every patient deserves the opportunity to get what they need to heal. And what we've, what we've realized is that, you know, um, we take for granted that folks who are going through one of the most financially toxic, uh, medical journeys in healthcare can even afford some of the products we just talked about. And so, um, we're never, we're not settling for that. We are focused on getting everything on a Lula reimbursed by health insurance. We are focused by, um, what's currently, um, available to a few who can't know about it or have are plugged in or have the means. And I'm not settling for that world. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm excited for what's ahead. I think we have a huge opportunity to democratize what really should be an, I think an inalienable right to heal on your terms um, and, and available to everybody. So powerful, so powerful. I personally thank you. I know you're helping so many individuals out there, you know, those that are directly impacted. Like you said, there's a web of people around as well that are looking and sourcing for it for information and resources. We're gonna put all of that below in the description for Alula and Leah. I really cannot thank you enough for your authenticity, your inspiration, your empowerment, and for your efforts for what you're doing. So thank you so much. Thank you, Sarah. Thanks for having me. That wraps up another episode of Never Settle, a truly empowerful one. I look forward to sharing more of these stories and tales and light and inspiration for fellow entrepreneurs on their journeys, uh, the ups, downs, all arounds, but of course, challenging status quo because we never settle.